This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Also, if you want to be a guest on the show, don't forget to click on the video on the right side of the screen at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We have someone that actually did that. I've been reaching out to for a while, and I have with me a truly inspirational aviator, and that's Grant Boyd. You know, I've known Grant uh, through online, and and we've talked about the air show circuit, etc., but he actually is somebody that is truly passionate about aviation and is somebody who's put his dream right in front of him, grabbed it, and is enjoying aviation and loving it. You know, Grant grew up attending air shows with his father, where he fell in love with aviation and received his private pilot certificate at only 17 years old. And then for college, Boyd went to Wichita State University, where he received an undergraduate degree in marketing and an MBA. Today, he combines his love of business and aviation in a number of ways, most notably as a freelance aviation journalist. He's written more than 40 articles, or excuse me, uh, for different publications like Plane and Pilot, Twin and Turbine, Aviators Hotline, which I absolutely love, and a whole bunch of other uh, things that we're going to talk about here in, in a minute. But uh, he also operates Boyd Aviation Group. It's kind of a niche aviation marketing firm, which he uh, provides services to several businesses within the industry. Before we uh, get with Grant, a couple of announcements. Don't forget aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can find the scholarships guide. If you're someone that wants to buy one for somebody else or pay it forward, we have that opportunity where you can actually help somebody by paying it forward and purchasing that scholarships guide anonymously for somebody else. Or if you want to buy it for somebody, pay it forward. Let us know who it is. We'll set up a coupon for them. In August, the updates for the scholarship guide are available. August 2019, we're talking now. Uh, Alicia is doing a wonderful job on the scholarships guide. We brought her on to start doing that, and she's actually taken off and been pretty much helping produce the entire podcast now. This month, we actually have 25 new scholarships in the guide and also 25 updates to the scholarship. So we have 25 that have been updated, 25 new ones, and uh, we've gone over the 500-page mark now in the scholarships guide. People ask why we don't print it. Well, that's one of the reasons. Also, I want to thank somebody. There is a pay-it-forward coupon out there for somebody who can pick it up. I want to thank Jeff for paying it forward and purchasing a scholarships guide for someone out there so they can fulfill their dream. Well, talking about fulfilling dreams, again, today I have Grant Boyd with uh, Boyd Aviation Group and a, a wonderful writer, somebody I love to see online and uh, somebody that actually, through the writing, you can tell how passionate he is about aviation. Hey, Grant, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Carl. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to talking with everyone and kind of telling my story and showing them how they can be passionate about aviation while not necessarily um, going down the path of a quote-unquote traditional career. So I'm excited to be on today. 
So one of the things, I think, Grant, I'm sure you've seen in this podcast is we really hit it hard, started off years ago, and we're telling the story about many different career options. And we've had a journalist on years ago. We've had lots of different people. We're trying to go back to that again. What has happened is because of this huge pilot shortage, we've we've tended to focus only on the pilots and the regional airlines. But you're right. There are so many other things out there in the quote-unquote non-traditional side of things. Luckily, I get to hang around with a lot of aviation journalists, and, uh, and that's because of the air show circuit, just like Grant gets involved with. But one thing I, I really want to stress to people is that you can do what – Grant is doing. But how do you get started? Well, gosh, that's that's why Grant's here. He's going to help us understand, you know, how he got started in aviation and how he got started with journalism. But going back, um, you were you were really a young aviator, weren't you? 17 years old. Wow. Yeah. So kind of going back even further than 17, I always went with my father to different air shows, you know, Oshkosh and all of those, as well as a bunch of different aviation museums. So I tag, tagged along with him to all of those read, you know, books and magazines while I was growing up. And that was about eighth grade. Um, I'm from Topeka, Kansas. Originally, there's a program called aviation explorers, which I believe there's, there's chapters all across the country in certain towns. It's a division of the boy scouts, um, of exploring America. So that's, they own two aircraft and they help young kids, um, get their pilot's license as well as learn about different aviation careers. So when I was about eighth grade, I went out, kind of toured the hangar, learned about the group, met some of the people. And that's really when I decided that I wanted to actually pursue aviation instead of just, you know, kind of casually going to different events. So at that time I joined the group, uh, did ground school from about freshman year of high school to the end of sophomore year of high school. And around that point is when I started flying and I soloed um, about half a year after my 16th birthday. And then I got my private certificate a little bit after my 17th birthday. So it's kind of a quick um, getting into it. Um, Not a whole lot of people get their license when they're 17. So it was a great organization to learn how to fly love flying, but then also learn about different careers that you can pursue. Because I always knew that I didn't necessarily want to be a professional pilot, but I wanted to be around people that were doing that for their career and supporting them. You know, that aviation exploring um, and groups like that, it's so important uh, to have those out there. I mean, they really do help people and and just, uh, you know, help people follow their, their passion. I'm sure that was that was big in your life, that whole aviation exploring. But also, uh, I think we really can support those people that are doing the other things like uh, in the exploring and also the EAA's, you know, uh, Young Eagles programs, et cetera. Yeah, there's so many different organizations. It's really fortunate. Uh, I'm 22 for those who aren't aware. So I'm really close to being, I guess, young, as you could say, (laughs) to those who are probably probably listening to this and are curious about where they can go. So I've seen firsthand and experienced how important not only aviation exploring is, but as well as the other organizations out there, scholarships, that's important. So please take a look with what Carl was mentioning earlier. That's very important as you progress either through college or if you get an aviation degree. So that is extremely important. So uh, talking about the aviation degree, you so you did this. You were 17, obviously, uh, in high school. 
What did you do after that? Um, where did you go, and and how did you get to uh, where you 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 finally wound up school wise? Yeah, so this was kind of a seventeen was kind of the turning point in my life, I guess you could say. So that's the point where I got my license, and then I tried to figure out what I wanted to do within aviation because I knew I wanted to be within it in some fashion. So I decided that I didn't want to fly planes for a living necessarily, and it was at that point through a organization at my high school that I kind of decided that I wanted to be a lawyer, which I've known several lawyers who are, you know, criminal, criminal attorneys or et cetera, et cetera, who aren't actively involved in the aviation industry other than flying on the weekends. So I thought that was interesting, but then I got in touch with an alumni of my aviation exploring post, who's actually a very popular aviation attorney. So I went and talked with him and really kind of enjoyed his job and kind of being able to help different clients structure their aircraft sales and lease agreements and all of those kinds of legalities. So I found that really interesting. So at that point, I decided I want to be an aviation lawyer. And this is kind of kind of off of that. That's where I actually got involved in journalism. As a side note, um, one of the aviation attorneys I met with said that I should start writing in different publications just to get my name out there and kind of get a little bit of recognition towards myself that'll help further on down the road. And further to that, I decided only two hours south of me was Wichita, Kansas. For those who don't know, it's the aviation capital of the world where roughly about half of the general aviation planes in the world have been produced. So it was kind of a natural fit to go there to college and start pursuing my aviation lawyer dream, which is then evolved. It's kind of moved from that into journalism is my goal. So it's kind of funny how something that will benefit you and something you think you want to do actually turns out to being what you want to do. <laughs> Pretty cool. I mean, you know, going back to Wichita, you uh, you talked about uh, the aviation mecca. It truly is. And by the way, if you, if you ever get a chance, you have to head over there. They have this incredible uh, museum there. It's an old retro building, and uh, it really is fascinating, the different airplanes. I, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to get to the air museum out there. I'm sure you have. It's oh, yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the Art Deco and is just incredible. I, I'm assuming it's been about 15 years. I'm assuming it's still there. It is still there. It's still as beautiful as ever. I believe the it used to be the municipal airport. It was the terminal, and I believe it was built in the 20s or the 30s. So like Carl was saying, it's Art Deco. It's it's all marble and kind of stone, so it's a really cool building. And then they also have some very interesting planes within there, um, a really cool beach staggering that I enjoy, um, a Boeing Stearman, um, a starship actually. So a bunch of different Wichita built planes. It's cool to see the, I guess the lineup that this town has produced and the history and heritage that's behind it. Yeah. So definitely stop by there. If you're ever in Wichita, it's a, it's a really cool place to, to end the city in general is, uh, is really a neat place to hang out. But uh, the, that museum was actually used by another museum as an example. And that's the one uh, down in Houston hobby uh, that to actually do a restoration part of the original airline routes. And it was, it's quite interesting to see both the old and the new in one building. And it really, it, to me, every time I go there, I've, I've felt like I was, going back in a movie set and going back in time. And that's kind of what you have done for us, the reader, Grant, is that you 
kind of went a different route, like you said, and you started moving on in, in school and got involved in some other things. But you really, I think, have really began to shine with your writing. Your writing is, is absolutely incredible. And, and as someone at your age doing that, that writing and, and been so prolific, it's going to be amazing to watch you going forward. But tell us a little bit about that, uh, how, you know, how you really got into developing that writing style and, and to the point of being actually paid to do it. Yeah, so my writing, as I mentioned, was kind of inspired by that aviation attorney who offhandedly recommended that I try writing is kind of an avenue to better myself and get more, I guess, name behind Grant Boyd. So I, when he mentioned that, I went home and it was immediately kind of a light bulb moment where, you know, that's actually a good idea. I should do that. So I kind of wrote an opinion piece, which I called, why do I fly? So it's just a simple question. I'm sure everyone who's gone through flight training or maybe even thought about going through flight training asked themselves why. So it was about an 800 word article. I wrote it, you know, probably four hours, went over it, poured over it a couple times, sent it to a couple friends, had my parents look at it, and then decided it was good enough to actually kind of shop around and try to see if anyone would print it. So I'd reached out to a couple of magazines, hadn't heard a whole lot, and kind of did that for a few months. And actually, it was probably more like six months to a year that I was trying to get that thing out there. And it was actually a couple weeks into my freshman year of college that it was actually published. And I kind of had gotten off it a little bit where I wasn't trying as hard to get anyone to take it. So that was a big relief. It was published in General Aviation News uh, January about four years ago, I think it was. So since then, I've kind of built relationships with General Aviation News where I kind of brought a story idea to them. And they would let me write it, and if it was good, publish it. And I did that with a few magazines. Um, so kind of the first ones that I ever did, these unpaid gigs were like that, where you give them an idea, you kind of write it out. If they like it, they'll take it. If not, they'll give you some suggestions why they don't like it and kind of push you off. So that was really helpful to get the feedback from all these editors and different writers who have been doing it for so long. So that's very important is to find different people who can actually give you feedback because otherwise you're just going to kind of keep being a rookie and do the same mistakes that you have been doing, which I have am no um, stranger to making mistakes. So that's very important. And at that point, it was kind of a serendipitous moment. I was on LinkedIn and an editor for Aviators Hotline, if anyone's familiar with that, has about 75,000 readers a month. It's a, more of a classified article or magazine that has a lot of planes for sale, businesses, etc. But there's also a couple of articles a month. So the editor on LinkedIn just posted a simple question like, hey, what does everyone do? I'd like to hear more from you. So at that point, I'm just like, Hey, um, hey, Ian. Ian Lumps, the um, publisher for Aviators Hotline and a couple other um, great magazines that I write for. Uh, I've written, written a few articles. I'd love to send you some just to look at. So at that point, he asked if he could see some. So he looked at them and decided that I could kind of write on spec for him again, where on spec is where you just write, and if they like it, they'll take it. So we did that for a while. I wrote a couple free ones for him. And then I kind of um, talked with him and decided that it was actually worthy of 
my articles were worthy of paying. So that's kind of how the profit started from writing. So I had done about 10 articles at this point overall. So I was comfortable with my writing skills and knew what I wasn't super great at and have worked on it as well as was able to work better under a deadline. So after doing so many pro bono articles, I was confident in my abilities and I displayed that to him as well as a couple other editors that my writing was worthy of monetary value. So to go back, so you went from waiting a year to have your article published, then wrote some others. And, and this is fascinating because there's so many terms that you're using, you know, the on spec. I love, I love how you're, you're defining those, but can you figure maybe, or take a guess how long it was from the time you started till you actually, you got your first payment for an article? Yeah, of course. So after I got that first one published in General Aviation News, it was about another year before I actually got paid for an article. So it was about two years since I wrote my first draft, which it could have been accelerate, been accelerated, I'm sure, but I wasn't at that point worried about getting any payment for it. I actually wasn't really thinking that was a possibility for a freelance journalist at age 20, I guess it would have been, to get paid for it. So it was really just kind of a shot in the dark moment when I asked if I could get paid. So it was really a good surprise and I've really appreciated being able to do that so I can take more time to spend on writing them and reach out to more individuals within the community to tell their story. So something that I hear sometimes from people that are trying to submit stories is they, they give up um, too quickly, I think, because it is one of those industries it's it's tough to, to break into. But once you do and have those contacts, it's like a snowball effect, which, you know, we're going to kind of talk about in a little bit here. But if somebody's listening, and I know there's people that have done articles, man, you just got to hang in there, right? Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. And the more I get into the industry and read different magazines, some that most of us probably haven't even heard of, and I know I hadn't heard of till I looked for them, so many different magazines are just looking for pilots like you or myself to kind of write a quick article, kind of a different viewpoint than maybe their staff writers or typical journalists provide. So there's certainly opportunities out there for those that are willing to kind of take the chance, spend a few hours writing their story or writing someone else's story, and then kind of shop it around for the various magazines that they read. Um, Certainly someone will eventually take it, and if they don't, they'll let you know kind of maybe what was wrong with the story or maybe it'd be a better fit for a different publication. And there, and the whole industry, I think, is is pretty. You know, they're pretty open to new people coming in and, and helping others move forward. It seems because, especially the ones that I've hung around with them, GA News, et cetera, have been around for a while. They they love seeing new people. That's for sure. One of the things that I think that's really cool, though, is that when you're a journalist, you get to do some really cool stuff. I mean. You get to go into some airplanes and go to places that are really neat. We talked about aviators hotline, um, but there's there's things that you do that other people don't get to do. And one of the publications I want to talk about is the aviators properties and also some of the opportunities you've been able to get to fly in airplanes. So give us give us an idea of what aviator properties is since I just mentioned it. And then, you know, some of those opportunities you've you've been able to have to fly into in planes and into places that are just phenomenal. Of course, that's this is actually one of my favorite questions because Aviators Properties is by far the 
my favorite uh, magazine that I write for. So essentially, Aviators Properties, it's a sister magazine of Aviators Hotline. So it's focused specifically on, you guessed it, aviation properties. So whether it be an air park, a hangar at a commercial airport, land that someone thinks could be developed into a private runway, et cetera, et cetera, it focuses upon those different tracks. So that's really exciting for me because I also have a kind of interest in real estate in general. So it's kind of a great combination to learn both about that as well as aviation and kind of keep in touch with both industries at the same time. So I've written, it's a quarterly magazine and I've been in written something in there just about every time for the last two years. So it's something that I enjoy researching, going out to meet these different property owners, learning about their stories and kind of translating it into maybe people within aviation who aren't as interested in the you know ground we land on, et cetera and making it really relatable. So one of my favorite articles from that is actually, I entitled it, Why Aren't We on HGTV? So what I thought, I've grown up watching HGTV, you know, House Hunters and all these different shows. I was at the airport, at an air park near me one day, and I kind of thought, how come none of these hangar homes, beautiful $500,000, $750,000 hangar homes, how come none of them have never been on House Hunters or any of those other programs? So I kind of wrote a about a thousand word biopic on why HGTV or any of these other um, network television shows should actually focus upon aviation properties in an episode or maybe even make a series. So that's kind of an evolved into a little bit of a mission of my own to get something like that going. So I'd love to hear from anyone that has experience in that or is has an interest in playing a part in that, which I've gotten good reception so far from. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And boy, you know, some aviation plays a, a real key role in a lot of these live and, and online uh, journalists with the properties themselves, you know, like Island Hunters and all these kind of things. Aviation's very important. Drones, but also get, getting to some of these incredible islands. Oh, my gosh. what a! It's just fascinating to see how that airplane is such a tool to do that. But the one, the one thing about uh, the aviators' properties is the fact that Maybe you can convince your your significant other to possibly live on an air park by reading some of your articles because you do make it appealing, that's for sure. Yeah, and about that, and then I'll transition to riding planes and doing some other cool things. But I wrote another article about living at the air park because, as Carl mentioned, some people may have to convince their spouse or significant other to live there. You know, for instance, my girlfriend isn't as into aviation as I am, so if I wanted to live at an air park, I'd have to convince her, you know, it's not as loud as you think it may be. You know, there's not going to be people doing aerobatics above your house at 2 a.m. So I wrote another article about that and actually toured an air park home that was for sale, talked to the owners, kind of broke down the misconceptions of living there, asked them why you'd even want to live in an air park, which I think most of us pilots understand that I'd rather walk out my slippers out to my hangar rather than driving 30 minutes to the airport. So that's kind of that article. And then along those lines, um, another aviation related, I guess all are related, but kind of my favorite types of articles to write about are quote unquote pilot reviews or plane reviews. So I get to actually ride in a interesting or kind of new aircraft and write about it. So for instance, I, Certain aircraft, when they're touring around the country, have media flights. 
So I was actually invited to go on a media flight for, um, it used to be called Modris Maiden, but now they recently changed it to Ye Old Pub. It's the Liberty Foundation's B-17 that they annually tour around the country to just about every state, if not every region. And they hang out at a bigger airport for a few days and let people tour the aircraft, walk aboard it, and actually take a ride. So I was fortunate enough to ride on their media flight last year, which is about a 20-minute ride on the B-17. And then I connected it back to World War II and kind of imagining how me as a 21-year-old at that time riding on a B-17 is such a stark difference from if I was 21 in 1944 riding on the B-17 and how fortunate I am to be here now on it. Whereas, you know, most of those guys were fearful that they wouldn't make it home. They're trying to make the biggest impact on the world. And it's just crazy to think about that. Basically something like 10,000 of the 12,500 B-17s that were ever built were shot down over enemy territory. So it's just kind of a crazy difference. And that's why I'm fortunate enough to be able to write about several events like these and different organizations that are trying to preserve aviation for the rest of us and educate those who may not know much about it. Uh, I'm definitely going to find that article just because the the juxtaposition of of those different places is in times and in your parallels and comparisons to where we are now and then is just just phenomenal. I just I can't wait to to break that open. But I think uh, one of the things that the people that are listening right now saying, "Gosh, you know, how can I break into this and get a ride in a B seventeen and and be a journalist?" Well, just get out there and do it. And I think. Uh, there's no better example than you, Grant, for someone who's actually done that. I and mean, there's very few people that are that young that, that have broken into this. Maybe it's, I don't know, I'm going to have to ask you, maybe the years less fear when you're younger. I don't know. But uh, were you fearful when you, you went forth in this whole journalism or did you not know any better? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was probably a I don't know any better kind of thing when I first started. <laughs> And then once you start getting more into it, you you kind of fear rejection a little bit more because you're a little bit more confident in what you can do. And that's kind of the gist of it is really not being afraid to ask, not being afraid to try new things. So that's how I actually was able to ride in the B-17 and other different planes that were pretty cool is I wasn't afraid to ask and present a reason for why it would benefit the organization to actually let me as a journalist on there and tell their story. And what I want to really want to emphasize to those who may be interested in shopping around and finding a magazine that they could write a couple articles for, or maybe even writing a blog or just even posting on their own Facebook pages to not be afraid and learn about different organizations and then present your case to why you should tell the world that this place down in Georgia has a twin Mustang that just got restored and everyone needs to know about it. I think that's some incredible advice, but you know, we all, I think sometimes have these little fears inside when just, um, that entry, like you said, with a blog is a great way to do it because you start with a blog. No one's, no one's listening right away. And it's, you know, family's friend and you build from there and you get some great feedback. And then all of a sudden you start writing and and then people start listening and you start connecting just like you, your voice is through your pen. And, and it's really amazing how you can touch so many different people. And, uh, that part of it, I'd love to hear about as far as, 
what you've gotten out of this from not not what you're giving, but what you get back from some of your readers. Like, can you give us some examples of what people have written to you? Yeah. So, um, I guess the biggest feedback I've gotten thus far are the articles I've written in Twin and Turbine, which is a kind of a niche as it is in the title. It's for Twin and Turbine owner pilots. So, you know, citations, um, PC12, stuff like that, stuff that I hope to one day own and be able to operate. So I've gotten a lot of feedback from that because my contact information is at the end of every one of my articles. So one of the articles I wrote is actually spun off into quite a few more articles, um, mostly in the property sphere. Um, I have come pretty close with an owner of an air park up in northern Michigan. Uh, it's a beautiful air park called Sullivan's Harbor Springs. Me and him have kind of been collaborating on a couple of different articles, um, like I said, in the property s- sector. So he's taught me a lot about kind of developing the air parks, um, stuff like that through his website. He has a beautiful website about different things that they've done with the place as well as just kind of learning about the area and how it can contribute into a successful air park, which is a very interesting topic to think about. I don't know how many air parks are near most of you guys listening to this, but they're fairly spread around the country and there's some winners, there's some losers. And it's kind of interesting to look at the different ones and see what sets others apart from different ones and kind of what others are missing out on and may be able to up their game at. So that's kind of through talking with him and seeing what he's done. That's kind of the biggest feedback I have gotten. And again, that contributes into my whole HGTV possible, you know, thing, learning more about air parks and all of that. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, and that's uh, that's a good example. You know what what people do and the differences, and in comparing, because that's why I love to watch HDTV is that I I get to see the the various and diverse type of properties and places that people live, and you do get to live vicariously through those people sometimes, and it may be may not be something that you really would do yourself, but you dream of, but you never know, and. Uh, and that's that's the dream you live when you when you listen to those things. Uh, but we'll de- you know what we're definitely gonna have to put a, a a link to that website because it is absolutely incredible in the show notes. Grit, you know one of the things that I I keep getting from you is it seems that you don't you haven't given up at all. You just keep going forward. But something that's important, and I want you to relate this to people that are thinking about doing this, is that you have to pay the bills. So most of us will have to do probably something uh, beforehand unless they run into an internship, et cetera. You actually have another job, and this is kind of like a, uh, another gig, another job that you have. As far as kind of relating your income level, where, where do you stand now? Is your, your day job still your primary income, the secondary, and is it getting close to being replaced? So my day job, I work the standard 40-hour full-time job. So that's probably about 95, 90% of my income right now. And that's just because it takes, I actually work overtime. So that kind of throws it out a little bit, but just because that takes up a bulk of my time, I don't have as much time to write, but I do on a per hour basis do better writing just because that's how it works out. But the caveat with that is obviously you don't have health insurance or any of that freelancer, you know, the freelancer pitfall there. So it is a very competitive um, income once you're able to get to the point where people are paying you. As with any freelancer salary or I guess income, it is very competitive once you're able to 
showcase your value to different organizations that are possibly willing to give you that. So that's something that I hear from some other folks and, uh, you know, people that are fortunate enough to get, you know, full time with an organization. That's great. But most of the publications look towards people like you, Grant, for the some of that fresh content. And uh, some wind up being a, a regular and they have a column uh, and that is not their primary job, but they do. And they've had columns like General Aviation News. Great example. I love listening and reading some of the columns there, Jamie Beckett, et cetera, uh, just some terrific people that are out there. That's something that I think that, that you can do as, as like a side gig, but have all these other things as one. And then someday, who knows, maybe transition over to it. But as far as you, Grant, and, and then we'll get into some advice to other people, um, where, where's next? I mean, where, where do you think you're going to go with this in, in, in your career? Yeah, of course. That's a great question. I really hope that everyone who's listening to this has that next step in mind, or at least a thought of what it may be. So my next step, I'm at about 45 articles right now. I'm going to get to about the 75 article time, probably about this time next year. And at that time, I really kind of want to get into longer writing projects. So if you're familiar with what ghostwriting is, it's essentially an author um, or I guess someone who wants a story told about themselves, whether it be an autobiography, a biography, kind of a you know nonfiction, fiction kind of novel, will pay someone else to write it for them. So that's what I want to get into. I'm hoping to possibly write it about a, I guess an aviation adventure would be the most interesting thing for me to write about. I want to write about someone who you know circumnavigated the globe, given back to aviation, giving back to STEM research, stuff like that. So that's kind of my next journalistic um, goal, besides for continuing to write and doing some different things, as well as I really would like to get that kind of show idea a little more um, developed and then possibly do my shopping around like I did when I first started writing and maybe see if that goes anywhere with, within, you know, network television or maybe a streaming service or something like that. So I'd like to continue my journalistic avenues through those. So instead of just watching Island Homes, I'm going to be watching Flying Homes on HDTV and hosted by Grant Boyd. And that's, I'm pretty excited about that. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really in full support of that, obviously being into aviation, but uh, it really is exciting to, to see what you're doing and, and moving forward. And the fact that um, you have so much ahead of you in life and, and we truly don't know sometimes where we're going. I mean, just listening to you, your path has changed direction. It, it's come to different forks, but it's all worked out really well. And, and you seem to be very happy with your career. Oh yeah. I, I really do love writing. It really has kind of come to these different forks in the road, but that's what I like about aviation. Um, tomorrow I could be an AMP mechanic or go down that path. I don't know, but I know that what I've done today within aviation and kind of my background and, you know, everyone here who's listening has some sort of background in aviation. So no matter what of the, I think, believe it's 1 million of Americans are in an aviation kind of support role. So no matter what you are and you're in one of those, your background's going to help you. So that's what I like about the industry. The best is just, if you have a history in it, you could do a lot of jobs well. So if somebody's looking at, you know, becoming a journalist, say somebody's a, a, an aspiring journalist, just a, just some advice, some general advice to somebody that is looking at getting into it, you know, what would you tell them if they're saying, you know, I'm thinking about this, what should I do? 
So I think first and foremost would be just to read as many magazines that you can. Um, flying, AOPA pilot, plane and pilot, aviation hotline, general aviation news. No, that's just print. You can go to the local library and find most of those for free. And then you can also go to the different websites and kind of sign up for their newsletter. So you get a quick, you know, paragraph in your email every day that you can learn and read about. So you're both current with the current industry, as well as some aviation writers that you kind of get a little bit of style from. And then the second piece of advice would just be to write. So I, I'm personally a big fan of just doing it and kind of learning from that. So I'd caution everyone to just write and whether or not you publish it anywhere, or if you just send it to your grandpa to look at and make him happy that you're writing about something interesting as well as, you know, kind of giving him something to do that I'm sure they'll give you some feedback. So it's really just to read and write. That's the gist of aviation journalism is, you know, reading, whether it be people in their story or actually physically reading a magazine or book. And then, kind of translating that into paper. You know, it seems you get that advice from a lot of journalists and people that write books. And, uh, you know, when I was first started doing technical writing, they said, just read and then just start writing, like you said. And uh, and it develops from there. And you develop your voice, too, which is, is pretty interesting that you don't realize that happens. And it develops over time. But, Grant, man, this, this is awesome having you here. And I think it's really important, too, that – someone like yourself who really follows their dreams, uh, it's important to have people like you on here because other people are very inspired by that. But, you know, I feel it's really important to follow your dreams because I've had a lot of road behind me. But you're somebody who's so young and has some, so much wisdom at such a young age. You know, why do you, you know, if, if you were trying to think about it for a second, why would you say it's really important to follow your dreams? Um, I'm only 22, so I don't have the... 40 years of regret in a job that I hate kind of thing that, you know, people, my parents age or other things have. So I'm fortunate in that regard, but I've seen people who have wished they had done something that was more in their interest. So that's what I really like about my job is it's very fascinating. It's intellectual at the same time where I can convey my ideas and do different avenues of conveying them. So I really enjoy that. And as well as kind of to our discussion earlier where this is not my main income source. So even if you do have a job that you don't like, or, you know, you may not be fully fulfilled in, you can still do a side hustle, whether it be writing or podcasting like Carl does or providing advice, you know, stuff like that. So it need not only be journalism that you do in your free time, but it could be anything within the aviation industry. And that's also another thing that I love about the industry. That's some great advice. And, and like you said, it's something that a lot of people do. And like myself doing the podcasting, I actually do like my job, my full-time job, but I love doing this too. So you can do both. You can have everything you want, which is, is absolutely amazing. You can design your own life. Uh, you know, don't let people tell you you have to go down one route. You have to follow Grant's example and, and just kind of do what you want to do and design that life. And it's, it's an exciting one. And you have so many years ahead of you and I can't wait to see what happens next. But, you know, I'm sure some people are going to have some questions. Obviously, you can write to me at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I'll forward those to Grant. And Grant, I'm sure you'd be more than happy to, to respond to them. Yeah, of course. I'd love to talk to anyone. So whether you email that email or my personal email, which is grantboyd2015 at gmail.com, or you could 
probably find me on Facebook or Instagram if you try hard enough. So, or LinkedIn. So whichever way you get in touch with me, I'd love to either critique some of your stuff or just talk with you. So I look forward to hearing from everyone. You know, what we'll do is we'll put some of those links to your, uh, you know, your Facebook and all the other uh, social media that you have LinkedIn at the bottom of the show notes here, episode 237 uh, here with Grant Boyd. And this has been a real pleasure, Grant. I hope you'll come back on. Maybe we'll have you on Stuck Mike talk about some of those airplane rides. Oh, I'd love to do that, Carl. Thank you for having me on today. <laughs> well, thanks again, Grant. And and for you, the listener, one of the most important things that you heard here tonight is to follow your dream. And and the other thing is that you never know. There's always forks in the road. We talk about that all the time. But continue down that path. This is a wonderful industry, no matter what you do in that industry, whether it's in sales, repairs, journalism, and flying airplanes, being a flight attendant, et cetera. It is a wonderful community, this aviation community. I truly want you to to go out there and, and find it and find your passion, find what it is you love about aviation and do that. Maybe it's full-time, maybe it's a side hustle, like you said, but do something and move forward today. So my biggest advice to you right now is, you know, right after you get done with this podcast, check out some of those links, contact Grant. But what I really want you to do, I want you to do something today to move forward in your career in your life. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.